Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray together. Well, we're so thankful that for those of us who are in Christ, what we look forward to is that new Jerusalem. Lord, when you create a new heavens and a new earth and you restore all things, and all things will be well. And we know that for those of us who are in Christ, we don't have to just think that might happen one day, but no, Lord, we can rest in the assurance that by your grace, you will accomplish all that you have promised to us. And so, Lord, with that great hope that stirs our souls, we turn now to your word to be challenged, or to be refined, to be made more like Jesus. And we pray that that is exactly what will happen. So, Lord, through your word, by your spirit, transform us by the renewing of our minds so that when we leave this experience, we leave different, more like Jesus, for it's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Well, what I'm about to say to you is going to uh, sting just a little bit, but it's true. It stings for me, too. But the truth that I have to communicate is that some of the meanest people I've ever known go to a church service every week. Now, some of the sweetest people I ever have known, in fact, the sweetest people I've ever known are a part of the church. But y'all are thinking of somebody right now, aren't you? Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, it's true. And, I mean, they, 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 might be, they might have perfect attendance in Sunday school. They might be on a church committee. They might be deeply entrenched within the life of the church. I mean, we've got some preacher's kids in here. Y'all know. You know what I'm talking about. I've known some people who were preachers who were some of the meanest people I've ever known. And you say, well, how does that happen? Somebody that's got a ribbon on their lapel that's 15 feet long showing every class they've ever been to, every workbook they've ever completed, how could they be so mean? I'll tell you, here's an experiment you can do. You can ask servers, what is their least favorite shift to work all week long? Try it, seriously. Now, don't do it this afternoon, but if you know a server, ask them. In my experience, the answer has been always Sunday lunch. And I said, why? He said, because when the people show up dressed up, presumably just coming from church, they're some of the rudest people that we wait on all week, and they're cheap when they tip, if they tip. One woman pulled out a gospel tract and said, this was the tip somebody left me one time. And that's great. We want to share the gospel, but, you know, let's get up there around 20% so that they can put food on the table at the house. You know what I mean? So, so why is it that, that people who go to church can include some of the sweetest people and some of the nastiest people the world's ever known. Well, I think there's a couple reasons. Number one, anybody can have a bad day. Amen. Anybody can have a bad day. I mean, you can have circumstances going on in your life, and life's just coming down on you, and, and you don't necessarily put your best foot forward in a social interaction. Has that ever happened to you? And I have. I, I've, had to, I've had to repent to God and apologize to people many times in my life. I, it just is what it is. And the thing is, for those of us who are in Christ, we're always battling with the flesh. Until we go to heaven, we're always going to battle with a flesh that wants to please itself. And so my flesh wants to please itself. Your flesh wants to please itself. And sometimes the flesh gets in the way. And when somebody, whoever that somebody may be, doesn't please us, we feel like we are, we are fully capable of rectifying the situation by just going off a little bit. 
And, and as we talked about last week, that's not producing the righteousness of God. All it produces is regret. But there are times when we all are guilty of not putting our best foot forward. That can happen. You can have a bad day. But I'm talking about what if, what if this is a prolonged behavior? What if this is, this is somebody over a period of a long time who's just nasty to other people? Well, I'll tell you what I believe the case is. They're lost. They say they know Jesus, but they don't. You know, Jesus said, you know a tree by its fruit. So if the prolonged period of a lifetime or of a decade or of, of a, just a prolonged period produces fruit that is not in keeping with Jesus, then what does that tell us about what's going on? You know, if I go, you know, it's, it's, it's that time of year we like to visit orchards. And if I go to an orchard and say, point me to the apple trees, and I go to a bunch of trees that have peaches on them, what am, what am I going to assume? Well, these aren't apple trees. No, they're apple trees. But there's peaches hanging from them. Yeah, but they're apple trees. No, they're not. It really doesn't matter how much you say because, frankly, talk is cheap. It can be, can it? So, so the challenge that we have is, is how does this happen? Well, we shouldn't be surprised. Jesus told us it would happen. He told a parable. This is not our text for today. We're going back to James chapter 1, page 1011 in the Pew Bible. We haven't left page 1011 in a while. We're going to be there for a few more minutes too. But in Matthew 13, he told a parable called the parable of the weeds. And he said a farmer went out and sowed wheat. But when it started coming up, there were weeds there. And the servants came over and said, did you not sow good seed? And the farmer said, well, the enemy came in and sowed weeds among the wheat. And so the servant said, well, do you want us to go and gather the weeds and, and get rid of them? And he said, no, no. In gathering the weeds, you may gather some of the wheat. Just let it all grow up together. And in the end, we'll separate it out. And Jesus tells this parable and some verses pass and then later in the chapter His disciples get him alone and say hey explain that to us and I want to read this passage This is Matthew 13 36 through 43 it Says then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field He answered the one who sows the good seed is the son of man The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus explains the parable. The son of man sows the good seed, but the enemy comes. And you know the enemy still comes. Do you know who does have perfect attendance at church? The demonic. Seriously. Here every week. Here right now. Don't let that freak you out. If you're in Christ, the Bible says, greater is he who is in you than any demon could ever be. All right, so we stand in the victory of Jesus. We stand firm in the strength of Jesus' might. But there are angels and demons here now. And the demons are seeking to do the will of the enemy to steal and to kill and to destroy, to, to distract and to destruct and to sow seeds for weeds. That's, that's going on right now. That's, that's spiritual warfare that is happening right now. But we stand in the victory of Jesus. That's happening. So how do I know, am I wheat or a weed? 
How do I know? Well, you know, the Bible tells us, all of us, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? It means examine your heart. Examine your fruit. God, what's coming out of me? What is, what is coming out of me that is illustrating what's inside of me? Lord, you're the one who made my heart. You're the one who knows my heart. Tell me about the condition of my heart. So the questions are these. Have, have I repented of sin and have I placed my faith firmly in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation? Or am I relying on some sort of work to get me to heaven? Do I trust in Christ that the only hope of heaven I have right now is the finished work of Jesus? Not that I'm a pretty good person. Not that I'm better than somebody I can think of. Incidentally, how hard is it to come up with somebody that you're better than? Well, guess what? Somebody's thinking of you when they're coming up with somebody that they're better than, okay? And me too. No, we all must rely fully and finally and completely upon the grace of God for our salvation. But let me tell you something. If that salvation has come to you, if God has given you his Holy Spirit, then that ought to make a difference in your life. And if it doesn't, I believe that's where the Bible is telling us, look within yourself. Examine your heart. See what is there. Go to the Lord. Now, I know, I know. Anytime you hear a message like this, anytime I hear a message like this, I immediately go back to those big moments in my life and when I prayed to receive Christ, did I really, really mean it? Or, 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 or when I went into the waters of baptism, was that really meaningful to me? Or, 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 or what about that time when I got cut off in traffic? And well, here's the deal. Let me say again, we're not going to be perfect till we get to glory. But the trajectory of our lives ought to be Christward. And do you know what Jesus said about how they would know that we belong to him? By our love. And the Bible is very clear. If I can totally tear down another human being and have no remorse over that whatsoever, then I need to examine what's going on inside here. I need to question whether or not I am in the faith. Because Jesus said they'll know you are Christians by your love. Now, are you wincing yet? Is everybody uncomfortable now? I know I am. So we're in James, and when we are in James, the admonition is, watch your toes. God's going to step on them. We'll just know that he's mashing on mine too. But do you know the Word of God tells us what it looks like to live out the faith? And so if you're concerned, am I a wheat or a weed? Well, God's going to tell us what it looks like when the wheat lives out the faith. James chapter 1, beginning with verse 22. The message theme today is this. By faith, we live out the faith. By faith, we live out the faith. James chapter 1, beginning with verse 22. James writes as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit saying this. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing." So our first point today is this. By faith, we obey God's Word. 
By faith, we obey God's Word. At the bottom of your notes, I have James 1.22 in the NIV. And when I was a college student, I printed this out on a piece of paper and put it on the wall of my dorm room as a reminder. Your faith is not theoretical. Your faith is not merely theological. Your faith is to be your lifestyle. Your faith is to be lived out in a way that, that blesses other people. So I put it up there. Don't just hear the Word. Do it. But we should start by hearing the Word. We we hear the word, and that's why we're so confused when people who are in church every week don't act like it. They're in the presence of the teaching of Almighty God through the Holy Word of God. They're, they're getting it from a Sunday school teacher. They're getting it from a small group. They're getting it from the preacher, hopefully. They're getting, you know, they're getting it. So why are they not getting it? Well, we're, we're supposed to hear the word. And every single human being on the, on the planet believes that hearing the Word ought to have some sort of impact in our lives. Even those that disagree with the teaching, they still think that church people ought to be nice people, kind people, right? You know, it, it's like when you're dating. You may want a rebel for a minute, but when it comes time to marry, you want a Baptist or a Presbyterian or a Methodist, you, you know? So... The world expects this. We should hear the word. Romans 10, 17 says faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, but we shouldn't stop there. Not only should we hear the word, we should do the word. Jesus taught this. He taught this in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Everyone, Jesus said, who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Those are Jesus' words. Hear my words, yes, but then do them. He said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, the apostle John says, by this we know that we've come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So again, it's this challenge to all of us. When I was in college, I had heard repeatedly, 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 just pray the prayer, pray the prayer, pray the prayer. You're good. You got your salvation taken care of. But that's never what Jesus presented. We come to Christ. We receive Christ. It is 100% by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. But if I have received God's grace, God's grace transforms me. And that ought to mean that the overall trajectory of my life is Christward. Salvation is not something I got taken care of that day, and now I go do whatever I want. Salvation is an ongoing process of becoming more like Christ. It's, it's what happens in a moment plays out over a lifetime. Now, again, some of you, I can see it right now on your faces. The temptation that the enemy is throwing at you right now is, see, I told you. 
you did that one thing. You know, your sin is coming to your mind right now. Sin used to keep me awake at night. If you're in Christ, that sin's forgiven. Don't let the enemy, who is the accuser of the brethren, continue to throw that at you. But there's something healthy about working out your salvation with fear and trembling, saying, Lord, check my heart. Remind me of who I am in Christ and help me live out my faith. You can only do it by the power of his Holy Spirit. You can't will yourself to do the word. Only the Holy Spirit can can give you the power to do the word. But that is the call. That is the call of Jesus. So, he gives an illustration. Looking into the mirror and forgetting what you see. Now, I'm finding a reality in my life. The older I get, and the more out of shape my eyes get. In fact, my eyes are so bad, the eye doctor told me that as I age, they're getting better. That's how bad my eyes are. You know, you get to play trombone a little bit, right? And that starts to happen. But, but I'll tell you what else I'm noticing it affects is the mirror in the morning. And how many of you get in there and you're, you're still trying to wake up and those of you who are glasses or contact wear like me, you get in there and you look and, and you, you glance, but maybe you, you might miss something. <laughs> and then later in the day, you find what you missed. Isn't that great? And you've talked to a thousand people and not one of them said a word about it. Isn't that fun? Oh, me. Or if you're married to somebody like my wife, she'll let you know right away. That's good. But that's what, that's what James is saying. He's saying, here's an illustration. It's like you looked in the mirror but didn't, didn't respond to what you saw. You heard the word, but it didn't do anything in you. Well, you're walking around with something crazy on your face, and everybody can see it. Well, think about that. That's a pretty good illustration. I guess that's why it's in the Bible. When we use God's Word as a mirror, it helps us see what's going on. There was a, an evangelist years ago, Ray Comfort's his name, and he was an Australian guy, and he put out a lot of videos where he would walk up to people in the street, and he would say, if I give you a $20 bill, can I ask you some questions about your spiritual life? Well, they said yes. They wanted a $20 bill. And all he would do is start by saying, are you a Christian? They would say yes or no. He said, okay, what is a Christian? Well, follow the Ten Commandments. He said, okay, well, let's do a check. And he started reading off the Ten Commandments. I'm the Lord thy God that brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Do you have anything that's more important in your life than God? Well, I mean, well, you know. Don't bow down to an idol. Now, I know I don't have that one. Are you sure? Because it doesn't have to be a statue. It could be a dollar bill. <laughs> how, about, how, about, uh, how about the Sabbath? You keeping that holy? Well, you know. What about honoring God's name, not taking it in vain? Well, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good at honoring your mother and father. How'd that go for you for the 18 years you were in their house? Well, uh, well you ever hated? Because that's what Jesus said murder was akin to, it was hatred. You ever lusted? Don't raise your hand. You ever, um, you ever taken anything that didn't belong to you? You ever gossiped? You got some juicy gossip? And you passed it on without knowing it to be true? That's bearing false witness against your neighbor, by the way. You ever been jealous of what somebody else has? And all of a sudden, that $20 bill wasn't enough for the line of questioning they were having to undergo. You know what I mean? Well, so he said, you're admitting to me 
that you're an idolater, you're a liar, you're a thief, you're a murderer, you're an adulterer, and you're covetous. How do you think you stand before God? Maybe it's not just that you follow the Ten Commandments. Maybe the Ten Commandments are there to show us our need for a Savior. And let me tell you what God did because you've blown the Ten Commandments. In fact, ten is the summary. There's 613 of those things. We don't have time to go through all those. Let me tell you why you need a Savior. So once I come to Christ, do the Ten Commandments still matter? Of course, that's a, that's a pattern for how I ought to live my life. I ought not to cheat on my wife. Fair enough. Oddly enough, everybody still agrees on that one. We disagree on everything, but as soon as you bring up cheating, everybody agrees, right? So that's, that's a pattern for how to live my life, but when I use God's words as a mirror, it helps and it hurts. James 1.25 says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So I'm blessed when I hear and do. On the front of your bulletin, there's some work gloves that say faith works, and that's, that's, that's we're saved by grace alone through faith alone, but we, when we come to Christ, we, we allow that faith to come out of us honoring God and blessing others. Well, look with me at verse 26. James is going to get pretty practical. James is not hard to understand, incidentally. How many of you have found that? It's kind of like when the physician looks at you and says, lose weight. Well, what does that mean? Lose weight. Well, but so what's, what's the, the nuance of what you're saying? You need to weigh less than you do right now. <laughs> right? Pretty straightforward. May not like it, but it's pretty sure. Okay, 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. Second point. By faith, we are not pretenders. Faith, we are not pretenders. James uses the word religion in the context here to mean expressed faith. It is threskia, Worship as expressed in ceremonial acts. So it's, it's how faith comes out. Religion here, he's using that word. It's how your faith expresses itself. And he says, here's some evidence of a deceived heart. You have an unbridled tongue. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, that the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. I heard a story one time of a guy I used to go to church with. He was in leadership at an organization, and somebody else went to work for that organization and had a nice back and forth with that individual. And one of the other persons who was not on the same level as the leader, but was on the same level as their colleague there, said, how do you know that guy? And said, so, well, we used to go to church together. And the response was, he goes to church? Well, I hope that's never said about me. I hope that's never said about me. So, Steve Ayers one time, and I'll never forget this. He said, every church service has three types of people in it. Believers, unbelievers, and make-believers. Which one are you? Now look at verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Our third and final point. By faith, we are practitioners. 
First point, we obey God's word. Second point, we are not pretenders. Third point, we are practitioners. What is the evidence James gives of a pure and undefiled heart? Well, are you visiting orphans in their affliction? I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that has for decades supported the ministry of Sunrise Children's Services. Some of y'all knew it as Glendale back in the day. But when we've had trustees on that board, we've, we've given so much money over the years and we will continue to do so. And we have people who are, who are deep into fostering and adopting here. That is vital. Jesus tells us through James that we should visit orphans in their affliction. He says that we should visit widows in their affliction. I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that, that seeks to reach out. I mean, we're perfect, but we seek to reach out. I love our deacons. They, they're so faithful about seeking to, to reach out and to make sure that widows, widowers, know that they're not forgotten. It's such a vital component of our ministry. And then to keep oneself unstained from the world. John 15, Jesus implies we are in the world but not of the world. John 1, 1 John 2, 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So why is this evidence of a pure and undefiled heart so important? Well, it's because it images our God. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, Moses said, For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. At the bottom of your notes, I put it in the NIV. That's what I had taped to my dorm room wall. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. And I pray for me and I pray for you, recognizing that we're not perfect until glory, but I pray that the, the condition of our hearts would be that we would be soft and pliable to the working of the Holy Spirit, that, that as God shows me things in me that don't belong there anymore, that I would say, yes, Lord, I agree with you. Take it out. And that as I'm out in the world, sent as one who is supposed to image Christ for people. I pray that by the grace of God, through his Holy Spirit in me, that they see Christ in me and not my ugly flesh that wants to please itself. And let me echo that there have been times when I've had to repent to God and apologize to people because my flesh got the best of me, right? And the devil didn't make me do it. He tempted me to do it, but I chose to do it. And maybe you find yourself in the same boat. Well, you know, the Bible says that we should work out our salvation in fear and trembling, that we should look within us and say, God, examine my heart. And as we come to this moment, listen not to the accuser of the brethren who is seeking to lie to you, but listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit who tells you truth that is redemptive. Satan wants you to wallow in guilt. God wants you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind to be more like Jesus. Is there a difference? Yeah. And so we don't wallow. We trust and follow Jesus. We say, Lord, help. I love that prayer. God loves that prayer, and I utter it a lot because we need his help.
But I want to encourage us. I pray that we would turn the tide in this city, that servers would beg to work the Sunday lunch shift because that's when God's people are going to show up. And God's people make me feel like there's hope. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.